Welcome, everybody, to the PFF College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Galina, alongside, as always, Deontay Lee. And a special guest this week, friend of the podcast, friend of ours, uh, Mr. Mark Schofield, coming uh, coming to us live from uh, his basement with the whiteboard, the TV screen, the Patriots memorabilia in the background, everything going on here. Mark, uh, welcome to the PFF College Football Podcast. Gentlemen, it's an honor to be here, but um, I got to say, you guys must be scraping the bottom of the barrel for guests now if you're coming to me. I mean, really? Really? You have no idea how many people said no to us this week. Oh, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> was, was, was Kiss booked up? <laughs> yeah, Kiss, uh, uh, I actually thought we were getting Kiss, um, so I'm surprised to see your face here. That makes sense. Um, actually, wanna, so I, I had a, wanted to get you on for for a few weeks. Uh, I've been thinking about you, and then we got some other people. Um, but then one of the reasons why I asked you this week, even though I would have asked you uh, eventually, it was because I mistakenly, I mistake your identity this weekend. Oh, right. Because, <laughs> because I thought, um, I thought someone was, someone had messaged me, uh, a few years ago, um, being like, Hey, wow. Like it's cool. Like you, you, you know, you have some followers on Twitter and one of those followers is Mark Schofield. Like that's really cool. So I messaged you saying, Hey, so I took a picture of this person sending this, this to me. And then I sent it to you, Mark being like, Hey, you know, like it's cool. Like people, some people think you're an important figure in the sports world. And then it, 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 uh, turns out, um, my memory was wrong. And actually the person was saying, Hey, it's cool that you're that, Mar- that Matt Waldman follows you on yeah. Twitter and not Mark yeah. Schofield. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, it all. I'm, getting, I'm getting mixed up me and Matt Waldman, which I think is good. That's a good thing. That's though, a good right? thing. That's yeah. A good RSP thing. Mark Schofield. Yeah. RSP Mark Schofield. yeah. <laughs> Matt, send me some proceeds, man. Little kickback on the RSP now. Uh, so yeah, that's that's. I felt bad, so I had to get you on immediately on the podcast. So so this is a pity invite. It's a pity invite. Yeah, I'll take the pity invite to a big show like this with you two guys. Hey man, I don't. I probably don't even end up here with PFF for Mark. Stop it, Deontay. You're a star, (laughs) man. Come on. Seriously. So you, guy, you guys, many, you guys know many a debt of gratitude. No, no, no. Deontay did some work over at ITP, but I mean, look, Deontay's brilliant, man. Like Deontay was I going agree. places. He didn't need ITP. He says that now. <laughs> um, me, me and Mark know each other in the flesh. That's a yeah. weird. Is that a thing I can say? Is that not a sexual thing? I hope not. No, uh, you, you yeah, we know that. each other in the flesh. We've walked down Dolphin Street together. We have many a nights in many Mobile, night. Alabama. And you're not helping. Okay. So, okay, let's get into it. Actually, before we get into it, I just wanted to give a little shout out um, to a friend of ours who's going through a really tough divorce right now. And we just want to give a shout out to our, to our boy, Nick, um, Nick, we know you're going through it. Uh, just wanted to give a shout out to you and, and good luck with your, your divorce. Uh, okay. So let's get into football. Now, Mark, you are a former division three quarterback. Um, so let's start there. Uh, now you do, do we have you know, to? Uh, yeah, we have to, no, no, we have to. Um, so, uh, you're from the new England area, I believe. Does the accent not give it away? Yeah. A little bit. A yeah. Little a little bit. bit. <laughs> I still get made fun of that. Like I did a, I did a video on Mac Jones on YouTube and one of the comments was Mac Jones is so good at 
hanging in the pocket. He's also good at hanging in the pocket. Like they had to double spell it because of the, the Boston accent. I dropped the G's all the time. There's also when Kiss and I were doing a show, one of the, you, the uh, iTunes reviews was like, Schofield doesn't know how to pronounce a G. He can't pronounce a G to save his life. It's like I get roasted for the for the accent all the time. I, people tell me I have a Canadian accent, so I don't understand. You've that at told all. me this, I'm pretty sure. Uh, probably. Yeah, one of those nights walking down Dauphine Street. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't deny that, Seth. I, I've heard it plenty of times. It'll jump out every once in a while. Yeah, it'll jump out. It'll they'll jump out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, unlike unlike me as a Californian with no accent at all. That's a professional voice there, Deontay. <laughs> Is there is there a um, specifically would you say a San Diego accent? Um, I think that all Southern Californians sound pretty similar. Um, people may make jokes about how we say like park car and stuff like that. And there are times when I'm talking, if I get very relaxed, you can definitely hear the like the uh, Southern California accent jump out with certain words, but. I try to keep it, you know, as manageable as possible because it can sound a little bit ridiculous. You've ever seen like a TV show or a movie from LA and the way that they talk. Like, I, I wish I could say that that's a lie, but we really do sound like that. Okay. Let's get back to the Northeast. Uh, Boston. I'm trying, I'm trying to duck this as long as I can, man. <laughs> okay. So look, you, you tell me about your, when did you start playing quarterback like in high school or even before that? And then how did it lead you to uh, division three uh, college football? I actually, I started playing QB when I was 10, my first year played football. I played running back. Um, I, I can still remember my first carry. It was 24 quick lined up at the T left half back straight ahead, dive spun off the linebacker. Man, I, w- I was hooked on this game from that moment. Um, but the next year I started playing quarterback played um, all the way through high school um, I knew early on that division one was not in the cards for me, like USC. This is how much money these programs have, man. USC sent me one of those initial questionnaires, like fill this out with your like 40 time and all that stuff. Cause we've seen you on film and this is fantastic. They sent it to me before my junior year. I hadn't played it down at the varsity level. Like they're just <laughs> sending them to everybody. And I was like, it was side by like, I think, um, I forget who signed it, but I was like, I like framed it. I'm like, there's no way I'm going to USC. Like, come on. Um, you know, some of the smaller, like one double a schools, like the Ivies, Georgetown, like they came calling Georgetown had me down for an official visit. And Seth, you've met me. I mean, I'm five, nine on a good day, you know, one eighty on a good day. Um, and I'm walking around these like six, four, six, five offensive tackles. And I'm like, yeah, nope, this is not going to be it for me. Um, so I went the small school route, the, the division three route, I was recruited to run the flex bone at Wesleyan university, which I was very excited about. That's my game, the option and all that stuff. And then we were three and five in my freshman year. And so the coaches were like, we're going to change offenses, go to more of a pro style, you know, West coast Coriel kind of hybrid. So Mark, you're going to play receiver now. Like you can't run that offense. And so I get moved to receiver as a sophomore. I was the X in our short yardage package. So it was like a 22 personnel. I was the only receiver. I was just allowed to crack block. It was like, you're going to crack block and run fades. Like that's it. So like, okay, fine. Like that's what I did. But then um, for my junior year, we had some kids transfer that were quarterbacks that left. So they had to move me back. So I played QB the rest of the way. And I like to tell people, and I'm proud of this from like 96 to 99, I was the worst quarterback in all of college football. If you were division three non-scholarship and a backup to boot, 
Like you're the worst quarterback in all of college football. Like, Period. Hands down. And I wear that proudly. And I will say Wesley University is 1-0 in games in which I was the starting quarterback because I started one game my junior year, 1-0. I was benched after my second pick in the red zone on Y throwback. <laughs> the starter came in. is like Kurt Schilling style. He was like bleeding from the ankle. He had a torn ligament in his ankle. He throws two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and we win. But 1-0 in games in which I was the starting QB. So there you go. That's something, Amen. right? You teed it up for his magical moment. So. I did, you know, and, and Jake Fay, he follows me on Twitter. He's out there on Twitter every once in a while. He has promised me he has it in his attic somewhere. That game film, 1997, Wesleyan at Hamilton. He's got it on tape and he's going to find it. And at some point I'm going to sit down, whether it's with you guys, whether it's with Waldman, and we're going to break down that one start. And we're going to show people what bad quarterback play really looks like. So when you see a Justin Fields read, it's like, no, I don't think this is right. No, no, no. We can show you what it's really not supposed to look like and go from there, kids. Yeah, we got to get a retroactive PFF grade on Seriously. quarterback. <laughs> can you guys, can this, does the scale, do you guys do negative numbers of PFF? Yeah, man. Okay, you, well, there you we go. Yeah, you'd be scraping. The I bottom figured of out. The I didn't realize I actually calculated adjusted net yards per attempt for my career. I didn't realize that could be a negative number. Oh, yeah. I thought that out the hard oh, yeah. way. That was that, that was a tough day when I figured that one out. But yeah, um, yeah. You know what? You know, playing quarter. You talk about like how hard it is to play quarterback, and as, so like I I played receiver in in high school, and then started coaching quarterbacks pretty early, like after I was done, and. So I didn't play this position. You know, I played, I was like the bad quarterback who never got a start, but then, then, you know, started a receiver. So like, you know, you learn the game that way. And, and I think I was an all right quarterback coach, but then when I started playing flag football and I started first, I started a receiver and then I moved to quarterback in the past few years. And I'm like, I know everything. Like I know what coverage you're in. I know who, where the ball should go. I know all this stuff. Guess what? can't get it there. Like, I just can't, yeah. I'm bad at it. So yeah, I, you know, there's so much more than just like understanding stuff and, and, and doing all that. And, and that's that why Seth, really you know, we, we've talked about this before. Like we used to get so wrapped up in like, I used to get so wrapped up studying quarterbacks. Like, Oh, is he reading his keys before the snap? Like, does he know that that rotation is coming? It doesn't matter. Like what matters more for the most part is can he find the soft spot and attack it? And can he put the football where it needs to be, what it needs to be there? Like, like I think, and Deontay could probably speak to this. He's a brilliant defensive mind, but you know, that's probably what gives you fear as a defensive coordinator. Like when you've got something drawn up that you think is going to fool somebody. And even if they like, don't quite technically read it right, but they could still beat you. Like that's hard to defend. That's hard to deal with. And so the more I do this, the more I'm just like, I don't care if the guy can like read rotations and, could whiteboard stubby versus stump. Can he throw the football where it needs to be, what it needs to be there? Can he do that? If he can't, he's going to be good. If he can't, he might not be good. Yeah. I think like that's something where I've just become less dogmatic in my approach to, especially evaluating quarterbacks. And, and we were talking about this before, like the big difference between coaching quarterbacks and evaluating quarterbacks. But when you're evaluating, it's just like, well, did he do the, like, did he get the ball to the right spot? Um, and, and I think like, you know, we want to believe that the NFL 
is everything is so complicated and this and that, and it's so hard for quarterback and you didn't do it in college. You can't get in the NFL and stuff. And it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe NFL offenses have gotten, gotten less complicated and therefore um, it's easier to just come in and play. And, and even if you don't like, you know, like Justin Herbert last year, like, even if you, even if you didn't look like you knew anything on tape in, in, uh, in college, um, you could just come in and, and be a real good player right off the bat. And you have to be because you're going to, if you're a top pick, you're going to play right away. Yeah. And, um, and that's what teams are doing because if you're a top pick and you're relatively cost controlled, you want to see, you want to get that guy on the field. Like the, the old way of like holding a clipboard for three years and learning the, that's gone three weeks at most, like most times we're going to try to get that guy on the field. So what are you going to do? You're going to do things that they're familiar with. You're going to like call designs that they're familiar with running and put them in a favorable spot. But frankly, that should be what you're doing for all quarterbacks. Like, I don't care if you have Justin Herbert or Tom Brady, like scheme guys open. Give them open reads. Are there times when you're, they're going to have to think for themselves and work through reads and work through progressions? Yeah, sure. But for the most part, you want to get that first receiver open. That's why this whole debate of, oh, a guy's a first read quarterback. He's thrown to his first read in the progression. That's what he should be doing. Like the first read's supposed to be open. And if it's not, then, okay, you work through the reads. And maybe that first read is closed to you before the snap because you just see, oh, I'm supposed to be throwing a seam route to the slot here. And I've got a slot defender over him and a cap safety. Maybe that's a blitz, maybe not. But I'm not going to force that. I'm going to come to the other side of the field. And so it looks like always going first read, but he's ruled something out before the snap. And so, you know, we, like you said, Seth, I, I think I've also gotten less dogmatic in how I do this. I used to, and I used to tell people I spend more time before the ball is snapped. Like where are the safeties, you know, too high, single high. What are the corners? What do their feet look like? What's the box count? What's the front look like? I'm writing all that stuff down. That doesn't matter. Now, if I'm coaching quarterbacks, like I said, look, like, look at the box, look at the front, look at the corners, look at the safety, get yourself into a frame of mind. This is what you should expect pre-snap, right? So then look, these are your reads. If they stay in this look, you know, if they change it, this is what you're going to have to do. Like that's the stuff you do when you're coaching the position because you want to learn that because it all matters but I'm not going to spend 25 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute and a half pre-snap now. It's just, can he put the football where it needs to be? And if not, why not? And if the reasons why not are things that can't be fixed, then we got a problem. If there are things that can be fixed, then okay. You, you make that note and you move on. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, Mark, this is like a conversation that I've had with a lot of coaches, evaluators, people on social media, um, you know, trying to take what we know uh, from like a scheme perspective, you know, being able to take what we have on chalkboards, on whiteboards and diagrammed up and then how it looks on the field. So, you know, as a defensive guy, you, you can look at a quarterback and say, oh, maybe he does look confused here. Or, oh, he threw the ball into the seam in the middle of the field was closed or X, Y, and Z. Um, but I think that we have, a little bit too much of a connection to guys who turn their shoulders two or three times to work through a progression. Um, I do think that the NFL has conditioned us to celebrate checkdowns as a result, um, which is something that you don't see from every offense, especially going from the college to NFL level, because they're dealing with different things from a coverage perspective, from a talent um, perspective, and from just like a spatial perspective, things are just different from one game to the next. And then when we talk about things like first reads, and this is something I've learned the more time I spend on offense, it can mean a thousand different things. Your first read might be an alert 
Um, you know, pre-snap, you know, do you get middle of the field closed with the press corner? Okay. Then I want to hit the X on a fade or am I getting a soft corner with two high safeties? Okay. Then I know that my first is going to be, you know, this through route, you know, up the middle of the field. Am I seeing man all, all the way across the board? Am I seeing two man, you know? Okay. Well now I maybe want to work the back in a, in a matchup that I like. So I do think that we have to continue to recondition the way that we look at quarterbacks um, in order to truly understand what it means. when we talk about things like processing things like working through progressions, things like getting to a first, second, third read, because a lot of this work doesn't even happen post snap. So much of this, so much of the science to playing quarterback happens before the ball is even snapped. So that is definitely something I agree with you on. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I try to like, strive to teach people or to, to keep saying that, you know, some positions are like a snap to whistle position, right? Like that's the evaluation time frame. quarterback. It's, I would, I wouldn't even say it's a huddle to whistle. It's like a Tuesday meeting room to whistle position where so much of what you do gets refined before the ball is even in your hands. And whether it's like, okay, I've got middle of the field closed. You know, I, I want to attack up the seams on this route concept. Oh, it's middle of the field closed. It looks cover three with soft corners. I've got a hitch seam. I'm going to throw the hitch. I'm just going to take that. And so when the ball is snapped, it's like, Oh, this is what he's reading after the snap. You've already missed half the battle. You know, and so I might not be like making notes and like taking a, a lot of like dogmatic approaches to what you see in the pre-snap phase, but it's important to remember that's when a lot of this is done. And so reads are ruled in and out before the play even begins. And so this idea that quarterbacks are like first read only or can't go through progressions, they've probably gone through five before the ball is in their hand. And just, we just, you just might not see it because like you said, Deontay, we're conditioned to drop back Peyton Man and Tom Brady in the pocket, flipping the hips and the shoulders. And you see the helmet stripe going left to right. And it's like, oh, this is how quarterback's supposed to be played. No, it doesn't have to be played that way. What has to be done is working through reads and getting to the right answer. Quarterback, quarterback plays like taking a test. It's a timed evaluation. You've got to get to the right answer, but you can get to the right answer in a couple of different ways. And if that's done pre-snap, great. You're showing the mental approach that you need to be good at the position. It doesn't all have to look the same. The results just have to be the right results. When I went back and watched the, the coaches film from the 2013 Broncos, which I believe it was a, the first Peyton season or was that 2012? I think 20, anyways, whatever I believe, the first Peyton, I believe 13 was an MVP year. Right. Yeah, okay. So whatever, whatever the year was where, where Julius Thomas had like four touchdowns in week one. And I picked him up on my fantasy team and won that won my fantasy league because of that, whatever year that was. But anyway, so I go back and I watch Peyton Manning because, you know, you know, the, his, his time with the Colts, obviously I watched him a lot, but it was all broadcast stuff. And I was pretty young at that time. So now going back as, as an older gentleman and, uh, and uh, watching it on the, on the ultimate two tape. And it's like, wait, He's just always throwing to his first read because he knows who's going to be open before the snap. And you didn't see a lot of like, like Deontay said, you know, his shoulders are turning and his, and his feet, he's resetting his feet all the time. Like he's, he knows the comeback's going to be there and he's going to throw it. And, and he knows that five yard fin route is going to be there, or he knows the 10 yard dig route is going to be there before he even almost, uh, you know, uh, snaps the football. So I think that's something that, and that's very different than Jabri's. Jubreeze, you see the, the foot resetting all the time, and he's always trying to angle it, you know, trying to reset the feet so that he can throw a, 
throw to his target perfectly and stuff like that. And it's very different. And they get the job done at the pretty much the same rate. I mean, there's, we're talking about um, the two of the top 20 quarterbacks of all time. So I think there's a lot of different things that, that go into quarterback play. And it doesn't mean that just because, and again, going back to what Deontay said, it doesn't mean just because uh, some guy looks like he's going through progressions means he is, or he is not. Uh, another thing I want to bring up, you tell you what, like check downs in the NFL um, something that always bothers me. I've, I've, you know, tweeted about this before, but at the senior bowl, you have these quarterbacks who have never heard of a check down in their lives, who are playing in these college football systems. And then they spend one meeting, you know, they're spending two hours with an NFL coach, quarterback coach, OC, whatever, before they hit the field in Mobile. And all they want to do is throw checkdowns. All they want to do is throw checkdowns. And I, and I always thought that was interesting because I, I believe that the NFL, I, I can't, well, I guess my question to you guys is like, do you, do we think that's the, them, the NFL people saying, get to your checkdown, or you think it's them as quarterbacks saying, okay, wait, this is how an NFL offense is supposed to operate. So let me not try and force anything in and let me get to my check down every freaking play in seven on seven on seven. Like guys, come on. I mean, it's, it's, it's better. I mean, I remember a freezing cold Thursday down at lad people's with Brandon Allen, not even getting to the check down. He's just tucking and running in seven on seven. <laughs> I'm just like, man, if that's what you're doing Wednesday at lad people's and seven on seven, like, I don't know what's going to happen for you on Sundays. I think it's a mix of the two though. I think it's all, oh, this is what an NFL quarterback is supposed to do. So I'm going to like take these check downs now and show them that I can take the check down. And there are also probably some systems where it's like touchdown, check down. Like if that first read isn't there, like just get the ball out of your hands, check it down, let guys make plays. So I think it's probably a combination of the two, you know, as somebody that loved to throw check downs, I'm excited when I see guys that are more willing to attack downfield, you can always throw a check down, but the guys that are afraid to attack the tighter windows, I have fears that they're going to be able to like make the NFL throws that are required of them. What it's third and seven, if you've got to hit the whole shot, or you've got to hit that seam throw. And if you can't do that, or you're not willing to try, that's more of a problem. I'm with you on that. I think when I'm looking at guys, you know, if we separate all the processing stuff, which I try my absolute best not to get into because I don't have, it's not like I have an intimate um, knowledge of what the offense is aiming to do. So I try to be careful about how I look at things that way. The number one thing I'm always looking for are guys who are willing to try to fit the ball into tight windows, especially now in the era of spread in the RPOs. Like, you know, and this is something that Seth and I talk about all the time, you know, the way that college offense, offenses are basically quarterback proofing their schemes, you know, where it's like, we are either going to throw into the widest window possible to where you don't even have to worry about, you know, some, some safety coming to rob a post or, you know, a guy coming to cut a crosser or something like that. If that's not there, then, you know, we're either going to tuck and run, or if we don't get the look we want, we're just going to check into a run, into a run play altogether, you know? So, and that is one of one things when it comes to the quote unquote mental processing that I'm always interested to look at is which guy is going to see the 16 to 18 yard dig where the safety looks like he might be able to get in position to contest the pass, but I got to take it because yeah. that's the look, you know, I know I don't have anything else, you know, am I going to try to squeeze the ball to the running back on a check down for a three yard gain, or will I take this shot at least on this play just to see if I can squeeze it in there. Um, so I tweeted um, for some very easy dopamine. I tweeted uh, about, you know, looking at the, our PFF grades 
for the, the you know, basically the top five quarterbacks, uh, or actually the, 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 the four FBS quarterbacks. So taking away, uh, Trey Lance, but looking at their PFF grade, PFF passing grade, when you take away, um, I think I did took away screens, RPOs, rollouts, and play action. And what you get is, um, I believe I don't have it in front of me, but I believe fields is number one and Mac Jones is two, uh, Zach Wilson three, and then relatively far down, you have Trevor Lawrence at four. And I think it's so you like, again, I posted this for free dopamine, sue me, but, That's what um, we do, man. <laughs> but I don't think it's like, when I think about those passing offenses without all those peripheral stuff, uh, you know, without the, with that stuff taken out, the screens, the rollouts, et cetera, and the play action, you know, Ohio State's offense last year, Alabama's offense last year. Um, we've talked about this before, Deontay, uh, Oklahoma's offense. They're really good at even without play action, getting you, getting their quarterback an open receiver at 18 to 22 yards, usually coming from one side of the field to the other. So it's like, and then I look at uh, Trevor Lawrence on the other side of the, uh, on the other side of the coin. That's not Clemson's offense as much. You know, they're trying to work the sidelines. So when they're not running play action, they're trying to work the sidelines. Those are, are to a certain degree, tougher throws, maybe easier. Uh, I don't, I don't want to get caught up here, but maybe easier reads when you're working the sideline, but tougher throws because you, you know, you're, you're getting one-on-ones, right? You're not getting a guy open down the sideline, you know, unless they, they, they rotate to cover two and you get them in a hole or whatever, but you're really getting a vertical shot one-on-one on the sideline. So it's a lot of tougher throws. So when I look at that, I'm like, oh, these teams are doing such a good job of whether it's play action or not, getting their quarterback really open space to throw to uh, receivers. And I think that's, that's something that we have to take into account every time we do it. And I think this class is an interesting example of just that because we have four or five, all five of them, played on teams where they were better than everyone else. And they could, their offense corner could get them into situations that was easier for them than, than I would even say Burrow last year. I would say Kellen Mond. I would say Sam Ellinger this year, maybe um, stuff like that. So I think it's something we have to, we have to think about when we're, when we're doing quarterback evaluations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you watch guys like Fields, you watch, you know, Lance to an extent. And that's where, you know, sort of the arm talent question comes into play. And as somebody that's gone on sort of one side to the other of the arm talent issue, I do think that Me too. quarterbacks that have that ability, that extra sort of juice and velocity, it's going to ease their transition to the next level. Because, you know, one of the things that we've sort of sometimes gets lost in this whole conversation about like mental process and processes, and all that, even if you're great at it in college, you got to get so much better at the NFL. Like the guys on the other side of the ball are going to be rotated faster. They're better athletes. So you might be a tremendous processor on Saturdays, but it's a whole different beast on Sundays. And so they all have to get faster, but the guys that have that ability to dial up velocity are going to have that extra half second or so in the pocket where if they're just not quite sure they can give themselves that one extra moment. And then boom, ball comes out like Mac Jones, Trey Lance throwing a dig route. One guy can throw it a, maybe a full second later and the ball is going to get there at the same time. That full second could be the difference between making the right read and the wrong read. And so I used to be like, Oh, we're making too much of velocity. It doesn't matter. 
the more I think about it and the more I see a guy like Josh Allen able to make that transition when he's at Lambeau field as a, as a rookie and he's like waiting to throw a speed route. Cause he doesn't trust a single high look that he's getting, but still drills it in there. That will ease the transition for these guys. And so when you start thinking about scheme fits, that's why these other guys might be a bit more scheme diverse and say offense agnostic than a Mac Jones. And I think, you know, one of the interesting things about, you know, when you control for things like rollouts, play action, RPO and things like that, the one thing that all those offenses have in common is that they're great at pat. They were all great in protection this past year and they were all very vertical explosive offenses. And so again, to your point about needing a certain level of velocity on your throws to make those downfield throws. Um, and then, you know, one thing that two of those guys have that Mac Jones doesn't necessarily have is the ability to extend plays with their feet. If the look isn't there, um, you know, and that, that's another thing that we always have to keep in mind with quarterbacks as well. You know, when the pocket isn't clean, if you get a free rusher versus a blitz, you know, what does this look like in drop back pass game? Because you're going to get a lot of that. You know, especially in, in the NFL where, you know, there's not going to be a thousand different kinds of protections and teams in the NFL aren't necessarily using tight ends and protection the same way that a college team would. A college team doesn't mind their four star tight end being a glorified extra tackle. You know, they don't mind having a running back and staying in the protection, um, because if you know you have four, four guys playing receiver and the DBs that are covering them run four, six, fives, you know, you don't necessarily need to have four or five out in the route. So those are things that we definitely have to be mindful of at the quarterback position in terms of evaluation is the ability to use their arms to create windows that would not otherwise be there. And then the ability to use their feet to create time to throw that would not otherwise exist as well. Uh, okay. Well, let's get into these, um, the, 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 the big five in terms of the quarterbacks, Mark, um, let's go like relatively rapid fire, your thoughts on each of them, uh, starting with, uh, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And I think Lawrence, you know, he's QB one for a reason. Um, you look at the arm talent, you look at the ability to attack to the boundaries, which sometimes with, with college quarterbacks, it's more of a question mark, but he has the arm talent to do that. You know, Clemson's offense, I think was very quarterback friendly at times. And it sort of designed some reads for him that, you know, maybe you'd like to see more examples of him manipulating safeties and things like that, but he could do it. You watch that Notre Dame game, the touchdown, the post route early in the ACC championship, he's moving the safeties, doing that stuff. You know, there have been some that have theorized that maybe Lawrence kind of near the end, just kind of got bored um, with what he was asked to do in that offense. And there might be some truth to that, but I, I think what's great about Lawrence is he's very scheme diverse. You know, he's, he's a great athlete too. Like you could drop him into a more quarterback run oriented offense and he could give you that component to it as well. Um, he's QB one for a reason. I don't think there's a reason to sort of overthink things. Was his 2019 tape as good as you'd like to see from a generational prospect? No. Like I think and Seth, you've talked about this a lot. Um, you know, he left a little bit to be desired last year. I think he got better this year. I think, you know, if you want to make an argument for another guy, Wilson Fields at QB one, I can understand that. But I do think that Lawrence, while he might not be the generational guy that we built him up to be, he's still a very good quarterback prospect. He's still very scheme diverse. You could run him in almost any system. He's athletic. He can extend plays. He can throw with leverage. He can put the ball where it needs to be with velocity at all levels of the field. He's outrunning Baron Brown into the edge in you know, the national semifinal down in the red zone. So he's going to be a threat in the run game. You know, He's one of those guys that I'm sure Deontay, when he's sitting down Monday morning or Sunday morning to start putting together a game plan, you see a quarterback with that kind of athletic athleticism and arm talent, you're going to stay up at night worried about it. So 
I think he makes sense at one. Um, I don't think he will fall, but if he does, a team will be lucky to have him. And he's QB1 for a reason. Don't overthink it. If you are listening to this podcast about the NFL draft uh, starring myself, uh, Mark Schofield, and Deontay Lee, you probably want to watch the PFF Draft Show live April 29th. That's day one of the draft. We're going to cover every round with live reaction, live analysis. I will be actually working behind the scenes uh, on the website. Um, But on the PFF Draft Show, you're going to have Chris Collinsworth, the boss man, and then... Their whole team of draft analysts, so Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Sam Monson, the whole crew, and special appearances by Richard Sherman, Al Michaels, and a bunch more guys. Um, so tune in, please tune in um, to the PFF Draft Show. I think it'll be on YouTube and PFF.com. Plus, if you didn't know, the latest 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out. 300 player profiles plus. It is absolutely one of the most beautiful draft guides you will ever see. Uh, So intuitive, so many colors, um, just so easy to navigate through. I think it's great. Subscribe to Edge or Elite on PFF.com to get it. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. So moving on to, uh, I will say, I will say for me is a... Um, number two, QB number two with the bullet, but I know has been a topic of a lot of conversation and that is Justin Fields. Um, so Mark, for you, when you're looking at Justin Fields, what do you see as an evaluator and kind of where do you, where are you looking at him draft stock wise? I mean, for me, he's really like, you, you want to call him two, you want to call him one B like put him in either one of those spots. I mean, if it were me and I'm the New York jets at two and Justin Fields is available, we're on the clock for maybe 20 seconds and I'm running to the podium myself with that name on that card because, and I will say this, I sort of came around on fields this time last year or last summer when I was studying him, I was like, look, he's extremely talented. He's athletic. He has a big arm and a ton of potential, but you know, there are moments when get into that right decision could be a bit quicker. And then you see what he did this year, the leap he took from year one to year two, those two Clemson games, I think show you what he has done in terms of development and where he's going as a quarterback, because he just carved up Clemson. And yes, the players were different, but the scheme was similar. It's Brett Vettables. He's throwing you complex looks and things like that. And he's working through reads. I mean, you want to see him, you know, patch return, mesh return, you know, pivot return, whatever you call it. He's checking the running back. He's looking at the first pivot route. Those are covered. He throws the dig. There's your one, two, three read kids. Like there it is national semifinal. I mean, and uh, Trevor Lawrence on the same play tried to throw it to the running back who was covered in the same yep, game. So yep. Trevor Lawrence has fallen to quarterback six on my draft. He's, he's now QB ten on most boards <laughs> because he can't work through reads. Um, and anytime you bring up Fields, you know the two words you hear next are Indiana or Northwestern. Are there times when you know that first pick against Indiana where he's trying to hit the seam when he should have just thrown the dig? Sure, he's one of those guys that needs to learn. Okay, your arm is tr- tremendous. Uh, but maybe dial it back a little bit. Like you can take that dig route. You can take the other routes that are there, you know, 
learn to live the next down or whatever. I absolutely love Justin Fields as a prospect right now. I think he's one of the more enjoyable guys I've watched this past cycle, regardless of position. You know, I think the arm talent is there. And you talk about Deontay, that escapism, that ability to extend plays, free rushers. Watch the Rutgers game. He had two moments where they had free rushers off the edge, completely unblocked. And not only did he evade them, I love how he did it. He set them up on both occasions. He showed that he was going to climb. Both those guys flattened their path, thinking, oh, he's going to climb the pocket. I got to flatten my path. And then he steps back and dips around them. That's that secondary movement skill that you just can't teach and you can't defend. You know, and to sort of continue the Deontay's defensive coordinator analogy, a guy like Justin Fields is going to shudder you awake at three in the morning and think, I had to turn on the film. I got to come up with something else. Like we got to do something differently this week to stop this guy. I think he's a tremendous prospect. He's my one B or two or however you want to term it as a Patriots fan. I am like fingers crossed, hoping that like he does fall to like eight to wherever New England can go get him. Um, and when you couple, couple that with four, four speed, I mean, come on like that play at Michigan state where you like chase down the blocker from behind that's something special, man. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love Justin Fields. I was a bit more hesitant on him last summer. The strides he took this year as a quarterback, I just – I'm a huge fan of this kid, and I cannot wait to see where he ends up. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. If teams pass on him, you know, Jaguars are one, like, okay. But any team after that that passes on Justin Fields, you are going to regret that decision. Uh, okay, well, let's move on to uh, the quarterback that I think a lot of people have – in a sense, neck and neck with fields or maybe even above him is BYU Zach Wilson, um, who's obviously shot up draft boards after his kind of magical season in, in 2020 at, at BYU. What are your thoughts on him? I mean, I like him. I mean, I, I think he's sort of much like his range of outcomes, maybe like bad Baker to Baker with like a slice of Mahomes. Like, I think that's kind of his range. Um, athletic certainly has arm talent. I wouldn't say he has the best arm in this class. I think Lance Fields and even Lawrence might be sort of above him, but certainly a plus arm certainly has that aggression to that arm aggression. Jordan Reed talked about that with Wilson. He'll take the whole shots. He'll force the throws downfield. If the post route is there sometimes to a fault, but that's okay. Like he'll, he'll have to learn to dial things back a little bit. And I think he could do that. Certainly the jump in production this year, you could say maybe some of it was scheme influenced outside zone play action, boot action, things like that, which we expect the jets to be running with Mike LaFleur. And so maybe that scheme fit does make some sense. Um, he's a, certainly a talented quarterback, certainly has arm talent and athleticism. And you could see why people are excited about him. And I think he's a good prospect. I just like the other two guys more. And that's okay. You know, you can like more than one prospect people. You don't have to just stand on a hill for one guy and say that the other guys are all garbage. They're, they're good. Um, I just like Fields and Lawrence more. So moving on to the next guy behind him, this is somebody that I still am not 1000% sure about. Um, you know, when you talk about tools, I think he's got a lot of them, um, but there is kind of a lack of tape. Um, so when you look at Trey Lance from North Dakota state, what do you get from him? Big picture wise. Yeah. I mean, he's certainly Deontay, the like ceiling upside pick where if you're a team that maybe isn't ready right now, but you've got a year or two to grow, or if you're a team that has a veteran starter like New England, like Chicago, where you've got a little bit of a pathway to ease him in, you know, you could take the bet on the upside because the traits, the athleticism, the easy arm talent might have the best arm in this class. And he's still figured out mechanics and arm slot. Um, that's why Lance is enticing. I, I do think, like you said, it's an FCS kid. Um, 
not a ton of, uh, you know, not an extensive body of work, just the season in one game. But you also see what he was asked to do with the line of scrimmage. We talked a lot earlier about, you know, what quarterbacks are asked to do or supposed to do pre-snap. And you talked to his quarterbacks coach, Randy Hedberg, Doug Farrar chatted with him recently. Um, kill calls, maybe calls, protections, getting in and out of stuff. Like he was, they were letting him do that day one. I mean, his first game against Butler, that 50-yard touchdown run, he saw a pressure look. He checked out of it into a QB run and took it himself for a touchdown. That's the stuff they were letting Easton stick and Carson Wentz do, you know, when they were seniors and stuff, he's doing it as a, in his first start. Um, so I think he can do more at the line of scrimmage and can do more from a mental standpoint that perhaps really shows up on film. And I think it's important, not that he was doing it, that they had the, they had the confidence in him and they gave him the freedom to do that. That shows you what his coaches thought of him. I think he's pretty scheme diverse, but there might be some systems where he, you know, he might need a bit more time. I think you can sort of close your eyes and listen to the offense fullbacks in the flat tight ends and stuff. And you can see why Kyle Shanahan might think, you know, maybe at three, maybe um, cause he could probably run and have some, some familiarity with that play action drop back game. You know, people see an under center quarterback and they immediately think pro style. I, I think that pro style term is just, pro style is whatever you term it. And when teams are in shotgun and pistol 95% of the time, like I don't care if you can take a snap from center or not, like you might not ever need to as a rookie. Um, but I do think he's extremely talented. You know, there might be a learning curve there, but if you've got the opportunity to make a bet on that upside, you might be really happy if you do it. And uh, finally, Mr. McCorkle. QB3, Jones. baby. QB3. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on Mike Jones? I think he's a good quarterback prospect. Um, I, I think when we were sort of pre San Francisco trade, when we were sort of in that realm of, you know, maybe mid first round, maybe a team like new England at 15, maybe even San Francisco at 12, like, okay, it might seem a little rich, but you know, he's accurate. Doesn't have the arm talent. The other guys have, does it have the athleticism? The other guys have, so he's going to have to follow the Brady path of footwork in the pocket and pocket feel and understand the protections and stuff, knowing where the weak spots are and spinning away from pressure. If he needs to, and I think he does that fairly well. I think if you watch like the Notre Dame game early in the game, they had a two linebacker inside blitz. He knew Harris couldn't block both of them. So ball was snapped and he's immediately starting to spin away from it. Like he's going to have to win those sort of pressure games with his mind. And I think he could do that. But also anytime you say a quarterback's going to have to follow the Tom Brady path of being a good quarterback, that's tough. You know, that's a big ask. Um, so he might be like more scheme dependent than the others. You might need, as Jordan Reed and others have said, the sort of three P's, right? Play call and playmakers or protection. He might need those more than the other guys. Do you trade up to three to draft a guy that can run your offense or that can transcend your offense? I would say transcend. I would say Fields or Lance. But if you really want to see, and I don't even know if he has the like safer floor that people have said. I think, you know, we've kind of talked about how athleticism and arm talent might give you a safe floor too. So I don't even know if I'd go that route that much, but you know, he's a good quarterback prospect and a good college quarterback who can be successful at the next level, but he might be more dependent on external factors than the other four. The guys who we say have, are the safer prospects tend to have one thing in common and it's that they look like me and Mark. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. what they have in common there. Yeah. Um, as we've talked about, my quarterback history should probably try to dissuade people from, you know, that. Um, okay. Two questions in one, how do you see um, the quarterback selections playing out in the draft? And then 
I mean, you've kind of answered it already, but how would you play it out if you were the GM of all these teams? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's Lawrence at one. I think that's pretty much done and dusted. And I, I still think it's Wilson at two, although I wouldn't put that in Sharpie. I wouldn't put that in stone. Um, there's, there's still, God, three more weeks or so of this. And, you know, the Jets might have them graded similarly or differently when we expect. And they might be looking at Wilson and saying, yeah, he's a good scheme fit, but – Fields has upside or Lance has upside that maybe that guy doesn't have. And so I don't think it's set in stone, but I guess, okay, we'll say Wilson at two. I still, I won't believe it's Jones at three until I see it. Like, I really think if, if you look at and see some of what Kyle Shanahan has said recently about how he also has evolved as a quarterback evaluator, he's seen Justin Fields up close. He's worked with him. Like the idea that you trade and give up future first rounders to get a guy that can just run your offense. I mean, it's the family guy boat joke, right? Like Jimmy Garoppolo is good, but Mac Jones could be anything. He could be Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, I just don't understand why you might do that. Go get Justin Fields, or even if it's Trey Lance, get a guy that can transcend your offense. that can transcend your scheme. When the bills sort of carved up the 49ers, that's what Shanahan talked a lot about how he has to sort of rethink quarterback evaluation. Now he's also said things like I want, a less athletic quarterback to run my boot stuff. Cause nobody expects that, which is some five D chess, I guess, if you <laughs> want to go down that road, I'd rather get the guy that can run and escape if he has to, but you know, so if we say it's, you know, Wilson, at th- I mean, Jones at three, then I think Denver, new England, Chicago, they're going to be like new England's going to be offering Rhode Island, Connecticut, you know, maybe Martha's vineyard to get up to four, to get Justin Fields like they should. Um, Cause you know, I think we will probably see a quarterback at four. Um, I, Atlanta might be, you know, getting some incredible offers to come up to get one of those guys. And then maybe the next spot Detroit at seven is interesting because if they like a guy that's there, they can just, they can just draft him. You're not married to jo- to Jared Goff. You can just draft a guy if you like him. Um, Detroit at nine, obviously new England at 15. Those are some teams to watch. And I do think we see five in the first 10, which is, which is crazy. Now, for me, again, like you said, I'm, I'm a, I'm the Jets at two. It's, it's, it's fields. Like I'm extremely satisfied with what he's done, how he's developed and what he offers at the next level. Um, and every other team beyond that, I am doing everything I can. If I'm the general manager, whether it's, you know, the Niners of three teams trying to get up to four, whatever, I'm trying to get up to draft Justin Fields. Is there, um, a quarterback that is projected more as a, let's say anywhere beyond those five. So at that point, like you said, it could be five in the first 10. So is there anyone that even as early as top fifth, you know, fifth, like, like where the 15 range is, uh, and, and further down the draft that you really like that you would say, Hey, um, this guy is a guy I really like, obviously for me, you know, my boy, Kellen Mond, but, uh, for you, who is that? Who is that guy? Look, you guys have known me long enough. Usually I'm Mr. Day 3 QB. I'm the guy that's like, man, look, Daniel Jones is interesting all, and Kyler Murray's nice, but let me tell you about this kid named Brett Rippin, right? He was playing for <laughs> Boise State since he was a – I'm usually the Day 3 guy. This isn't quite that year. Um, I know there was some, you know, you, the Mond buzz. Uh, I guess last week it was the Davis Mills news cycle. Apparently this week it's the Kyle Trask news cycle because you're hearing today that, oh, he might be the sixth – 
quarterback in the first round. Oh my God. There aren't really guys that like, I need that Mark. I can't tell you how much Deontay knows this. I need that to happen so much just so I can rub it in a friend of ours face. I need it so bad. I mean, there, there, there was a discussion about the Steelers and Kyle Trask, which is like, look, I mean, if you want Mason Rudolph 2.0, there you go. There he is. Go get him. Um, I mean, there, there are moments with Mond where you can certainly see the athleticism. He makes some anticipation throws under pressure against the Blitz, which I thought were really impressive against Florida. But then at the same time, he can't read static spot drop cover four at times. And it's like, <laughs> look, man, if you're going to see cover four and stare down the speed out route and nearly throw a pick six at this point in your career, and that's a bit iffy for me. But then when he has Saban like, going deep into his playbook for some drop eight stuff um, that Coach Kogan was talking about recently, you know, when you force Saban to do that, you're doing something special. So there's something enticing about Mond. Um, Seth, we've talked about Jamie Newman and that Wake Forest offense, which is just, I don't, I never thought an offense could be so quarterback friendly and so quarterback mean at the same time, but like you're building in like RPOs and glance routes and designed pop fakes to the running back on the swing route to get safeties out of position. That's fantastic stuff. I love it. It's all the stuff we talked about, but then when you're asking them to do that while walking towards the line of scrimmage <laughs> and then making throws like from two yards behind the center as the pocket collapses around you, like you, I guess if you've got an opportunity to manufacture pressure on your quarterback, you just got to go ahead and do it. Uh, but as a result of that, Newman can make throws from any platform, from off structure, from, you know, with trash at his feet and stuff like that. And he sometimes seems impervious to pressure as a result. And as you get into sort of that late day two, early day three range, you combine that with his athleticism and there's something to like there too. But all of these guys, I think are more the developmental prospect than the, yeah, you could wait, if you miss on Matt Jones or Trey Lance, Justin Fields, you could wait until like sometime on day two and get one of these guys and you're going to get a starter. I don't think it's that kind of year. I, I think those are more sort of dartboard throws than anything else. The last question I have for you, Mark, um, spinning this forward a year, is there any quarterback that's kind of popped out to you on film um, that's going to be a 2022 guy, a potential 2022 guy, if they're not a, going to be a senior? Yeah. I mean, I think Malik Willis from Liberty has really sort of jumped out to me. I've been very impressed with him and I know, look, he's starting to get some buzz and with good reason. I think there's some athleticism, some arm talent, some stuff I really like Spencer Radler, obviously Desmond Ritter, I thought might've been that guy to perhaps bridge the top five to the next tier, maybe earlier on day two, he went back to Cincy. I think he's certainly interesting. I know Sam Howell is getting a ton of buzz and Seth, you and I were talking about him before, I liked him as a freshman, like last year's stuff when I was watching like Brown and Carter and Williams and all those guys, I was more underwhelmed, I guess. Um, but maybe it was sort of like Trevor Lawrence, 2019, where, okay, he maybe has a down year at spots and he's going to come back next year and really sort of look great on film and make that leap to, okay, yeah, I get it now. All the like eventual number one pick stuff that was said about him, you know, after his freshman year, that certainly makes sense now. Um, you know, it's funny you ask that Deontay, because we all know what happens the minute that final pick is made in a couple of weeks, the way too early 2020 mocks will get posted, including perhaps one by me. Um, the, the watch lists will come up. All that stuff is going to come up. We've already, we've all already seen the video clips floating around. People are ready to turn the page on this class and move to the next group. Um, so we could have another 365 of yelling about quarterbacks, um, which is just, 
why are we doing this? What are we doing <laughs> to ourselves, man? I mean, just come on. But yeah, um, and no, but it should be a fun class. I'm excited to get into it and start yelling about the next group of kids because that's what well-adjusted people do when they're in their 40s is yell about 20-year-old college quarterbacks. As someone who's also in their 40s, I mean, I know I know all about that. Uh... It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, these are all the gra- things that I could not do. So I'm going to live vicariously through a 19 year old college quarterback because, because that's healthy. That's really healthy. Uh, Twitter has ruined my life. It saved my life, but also ruined my life at the exact yeah, same time. I mean, Twitter is a force for good and a force for evil. And I, I think as we've seen recently from our mutual friend, Ben Solak, the more you can do is, uh, as a troll Twitter account, the, the better off you're going to be because apparently Ben has turned heel on us, which is, which is a nice little change of pace from him. Following the Brian Rossler, uh, Brian model. Rossler, that's not his name. <laughs> I thought it was Bright. That's <laughs> Bright Rossler, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, before we get you out of here, uh, let's end uh, on a high note. Um, after, after, after the uh, existential after the downer that talk, that was, um, you're playing quarterback. So I asked this to a bunch of people. You are stranded on a desert island. You're allowed to bring one concept with you onto this island. What is it? Uh, passing concept. I guess it could be a running concept, but who cares about the run game? PFF.com. Uh, but, uh, uh, passing concept. It could be as, as detailed as, you know, personnel, formation, motion, you know, et cetera, et cetera, or as basic as four verts, uh, curl flat, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, I was a huge fan of, we called it 585. Um, you've people are probably more familiar as five, two, five F post. Um, mm. you know, we've got the comebacks okay. on each side, post route, middle of the field. We were primarily a two back offense at Wesley. So we'd have, you know, checks went to one side, check flat to the other. And you know, it's one of those half field reads, right? Middle of the field open quick. Look at that post route. If you could split the safeties, great. But then you work strong side, come back to the check down sink middle field close. You got not going to throw that post route. So you work weak side, come back, check down, you know, really sort of, scheme friendly thing for the quarterback to run read friendly thing for the, for the QB to run. Um, and it's one of those throws that I could make. Now, a lot of people have probably said why throwback, you know, that's a nice scheme, right? I'm the only person alive that has thrown a pick on why throwback. So I got to take that one out of the playbook. A lot of people might say smash, right? Cause it's easy, simple, high, low, one side of the it's field the boundary. Throw. Teaching. Yeah. I've thrown picks on smash. Every time I saw that corner, try to cheat it at half, half split that, I'm like, I can get it over his head. And we often ran smash off sprint stuff. So I'm sprinting to my left, trying to get that, you know, throw it away from your, your dominant hand and then try to throw that seven round. I mean, I just threw it every time right to that corner. You could see his eyes just wide. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get a pick here. So yeah, 585, F post. That, that, that was probably the one I'd take with me because it's one that I could actually read and throw pretty well. You know, smash is funny. Because it's like, like I said, it's like one of the first, it's like slant flat, flat instant. and then yeah. smash, right? Like usually yeah. like three, three things you're, you're starting every, every install with, but then, you know, I, I feel like maybe corners and, or, and defensive coordinators and, 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 you know, you can add to this Deontay too. Our corners just getting smarter at like, okay, we understand when there's a smash call. We understand yeah. how to play it. I, I They play it so much better in cover two now 
um, being able to either bait the cornerback like Mark is saying, or, 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 or just let make, make him throw, uh, you know, the shorter, uh, hitch route or whatever, rather than the, than the, yeah, I mean, he, the and, you know, I don't want to step on Deontay's toes here, but you watch any coverage clinic and they're like, okay, here's what we do against smash, make him throw the scholarship route, make him throw that seven route. And if you get a chucklehead like me that you can bait into doing that time and time again, <laughs> you're going to be able to make plays against them. So I think, yeah, it's a day one install, but it's a day one defensive install too. Cause you're like, how do we defend smash? How do we defend verts? Like, okay, we got those covered then let's move on. Yeah. I'm going to trigger justice here and say that the corner is almost never open. <laughs> it's almost never open. Like, if you're, I mean, if you're playing cover one and you want to throw smash, I mean, that throw is available for you all day, every day. And against some cover three, you know, you maybe get a look at it if you're able to convert the corner into like more of a bench type of route. But yeah, I mean, anything that's split safety to me, yes. That's one of the first things I'm going to draw up is, how we're going to deal with high lows up the sideline against split safety coverage. And more times than not, even if I'm not per perfectly covering it, I can create enough gray area as a defensive coach to where as a quarterback is probably just the smartest idea to throw the hitch and live to play another down. Also, you talked about that. The, the first concept you mentioned with the kind of mirrored comebacks on the outside and then a route that kind of splits the middle of the field. That's another thing. I mean, you have to talk about that play a lot too. It's just something that you're seeing a lot of. I've been watching the, um, the Cardinals, uh, you know, watching Kyler Murray. I think they run that a lot, a lot of three receiver routes down the field. Um, yeah, that's something that's, that's coming back big time because like you said it's a relatively easy read yeah, i mean the less people you put on the field is going to or down down the field it's going to be an easier read to a certain and it's degree. one of those things where it's like you don't need to tell me like what coverage it is exactly is it middle of the field open middle field close half field read like you know where generally to go with the football i mean look if a chucklehead like me could have a call for him again remember worst quarterback in all of college football <laughs> like if i could run that then Kyler Murray can run that on Sundays. And so, yeah, I, I mirrored concepts. I'm a huge fan of mirrored concepts. Generally, they give you that ability to just read one side of the field or the other while still stressing the defense sideline to sideline. So from Deontay's perspective, you've got to cover it all, but I don't have to read it all. I can just read half of it and make a simplified, educated decision, get the ball out to your guide space. Even if it's that check flat, that arrow, whatever, because you don't want to throw that five route against that corner. Look, Get the guy the ball in space, make a play against the curl flat defender. You've got a big game. All right, Mr. Schofield, where can the people find you? You can find me on the Stakem app at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Um, where we? Again, no, I mean, like, what's your address? What's your home address? That's what. Oh I mean. yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> you sent me yours once. I gotta find that. I can read your address off. It's... Actually, no, Michael kissed. Uh, I think Tampa, Florida. Um, Michael is going to be coming out of his hibernation to drop his big board soon somewhere. He's been yeah, like anyone who needs to read that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can find me on Twitter at Mark Schofield, uh, touchdown wire USA today, Pat's pulp at a bunch of different places, but on the bird app at Michael kissed NFL. All right. Thank you. Mark. I was going to call you Michael. Thank you, Mark, for being on today. All right. That was the uh, PFF college football podcast with myself, Deontay Lee and Mark Schofield, um, excited to uh, uh, see you guys next week. All right, see ya.